All right. Well, because of the fair service, I know some of you are double dipping today, which is awesome. Thanks for coming and filling up the house a little more. But because of that service, I'm doing a lot of things. So you're going to be tired of me before the morning's over. So I got to do the announcements today as well, because we had to split our team up and everybody's everywhere today. So we have a couple things going on. But first, let me just say welcome. Uh, I'm Pastor Kurt, and we love to know that you're with us, whether you're streaming online, whether you're here in the room. And the way that you can do that is with your Connect card, and you can scan that. It's on, on, a, on a chair in front of you somewhere. There's a QR code. Open your camera, scan it if you know how to do that, and then just find out all that North County has to offer, which is a lot. Uh, if you're online, you can just visit our website, nccdk.com. Uh, if you're old school like me, you can just fill out a welcome card, and you can pick those up at the Welcome Center, okay? A couple things going on. We have a fundraiser happening really soon here for New Gen. New Generation is the ministry that Mike and Chris Leland founded in Haiti, and Mike and Chris are part of our church, and so they're doing their yearly fundraiser, and you can be a part of that. You can come to the fundraiser and enjoy a good dinner and uh, enjoy giving your money to a great cause which is to help the orphanages over there and also to help the churches that are being planted. I think seven churches or so have been planted through Mike and Chris. And so just bless them that way. And then finally, the last thing we have to say is shape. Uh, we have shape here at the church, which is basically a course that you can take to help you find out how God has gifted you with your spiritual gifts, uh, your heart passions, your personality, all those things, and you can find out how to be best used in your life in the kingdom, okay? Now we have a shape light that we're offering for the first time online, so you don't have to come and go to the class. You can actually do it online and get a taste of it and then decide if you want to come to the full class later on in the fall. So that's shape, okay? Does it make sense? If you have any questions, just ask somebody. They'll tell you. Don't ask me. I am the wrong guy to ask. I probably know the least of any of these people that, that work here. That's right. Delcy, that work at the church. All right. So my wife went to the, the fair today. She knew I was preaching, and she went to the fair. So if that tells you anything about our relationship, there it is. The truth is uh, she had some grandkids over there that she wanted to wrangle and help wrangle, so she went to help out. Um, but I heard great things. I think they said 4,000 people at the service over there. So standing room only, which is awesome. But here in church, just a couple of weeks ago, I was visiting with this couple in the commons. And we're having a, a great conversation, going a little deeper than usual on a Sunday morning. And so we were talking, and one of their children came up and did the little pull on the shirt, right, interruption. And mom's like, shh, shh. You know, and kept doing it, interrupting, interrupting. And finally, mom says, you're interrupting. You need to wait. Have you ever said that as a parent? You're interrupting. You need to wait. Wait till later, and we'll talk about it. And that's kind of the picture I want you to have of the Corinthian church in general. The Corinthian church was not an orderly service like this. People didn't just come in and be quiet and listen and participate in worship. The Corinthian church was a lot more like a noisy commons area on a, on a full Sunday morning before the service or after the service. That's a better description of what the church was like. Noisy, disruptive, loud. And so chapter 14 in 1 Corinthians is the chapter where Paul addresses orderly worship. And he pulls back on him a little bit and he says, hey, we're going to get some of these things in line, okay? And so I want to use this opening part, I'm going to actually take you to the end of 1 Corinthians 14 and start there because it's a great opportunity to talk about some very important words called context and culture. Can you say that with me? Context and culture. Two very important words to know and to understand 
as you interpret your Bible correctly, okay? There are many different ways you can interpret certain passages in the Bible, and this morning, this morning we're going to look at one of those. So open up your Bible to 1 Corinthians 14, verse 33. We're going to start at the end, okay? Start at the end. Verse 33, here we go. As in all the churches of the saints, the women should keep silent in the church. May I hear the women boo? Boo, yeah. <laughs> For they are not permitted to speak, but they should be in submission, as the law also says. Notice it says, as the law also says. If there is anything they desire to learn, let them ask their husbands at home. And there's a key phrase for you. If there's anything they desire to learn, let, their, let them ask their husbands at home, for it's shameful for a woman to speak in church. Women stay silent in the church. Really? Really? Aren't you glad that we don't live under Jewish law in the 21st century? And that's what this is about. That's the context. You know, if you go back just a few chapters, you'll hear Paul teaching about women praying and prophesying in the church, that they need to do it with their head covered. And so you know that women were allowed to speak in the church. They were allowed to pray in the services. They were allowed to prophesy in the services. But Paul's addressing something different here. And I want to take you through it because it's just a great example of why context and culture are so important, okay? And when you read your Bible, you have to understand context and culture. Otherwise, you make assumptions that just are not true about what was happening and, and what applies to our life today. So here's what most scholars believe about this passage of Scripture, and that is that the women in the day of Paul, first century church, were mostly uneducated. Most of them didn't know the Old Testament. They didn't know the Pentateuch. Um, and this, for the very first time, was their opportunity to be drawn in to the church meeting. So, you know, before Jesus, it was the temple meetings, and only the men were allowed in, in that court uh, where they talked about, you know, the Old Testament and read the scriptures. And women had to be in what they called the, the court of the women, which was sort of set back away from the rest of the, of the men. Or they were put in this balcony and allowed kind of to watch from afar. In other words, they were not allowed to be a part of the service. And now for the first time, this is changing. This is changing. And Paul is realizing he's going to have to navigate this change wisely. And so this is his attempt to do so. And what's happening here is that these uneducated women are so excited to learn about Jesus, learn about how Jesus uh, has fulfilled all these prophecies, learn about, you know, for the first time being able to be in the crowd with the men, either in the temple or house to house in these homes. They were involved. They were invited in. And so for the first time they're there. And so they're learning all these things, but they don't understand it all. And so they're, they're interrupting the service and asking their husbands questions right in the middle of the service. So imagine 20, 30, 40, 50 women all doing this at the same time. It would feel more like the commons out there on a Sunday morning, and it was just hard to get anything done. It was hard to make it through a teaching because these women were asking a lot of questions. And it was a good thing, but Paul says simply, hey, why don't you wait till you get home and then ask your husbands the questions so that you're not disrupting the service. Does that make sense? So that's what that passage means. When I was in seminary for my master's class, I took this, the first class they offered was called hermeneutics. Can you say that? kind of a weird word that means how to interpret your Bible correctly. And two of the main words that we learned about in this class were the words culture and context. 
And especially when there's instruction to the church, you have to view it through culture and context. You can't just assume that you can apply it verbatim or literally to our culture today. It just doesn't work. And so culture and context are very, very important. And what Paul is writing to in response to the culture and the context was different than today. Because 2,000 plus years have passed since this church was born and since this started. And our culture is radically different than the first century church. And here's what you have to remember. And here's number one in your notes today. Number one is culture and context changes over time. But one thing stays the same. And who is the one thing? Jesus. And what stays the same? Pursuing unity in love for the church. So let me say that again very clearly. Jesus does not change. In Hebrews, it talks about the fact that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. But what does change? Culture changes and context changes. And here's what you have to keep in mind when you look at the Bible through culture and context is that there are universal principles of God that do not change. Things about his image that do not change. They are set in stone, if you will, uh, for eternity. But then there are, are things about culture and things about context that do change. And one of these was this, that women should stay silent in the church. Now, let me just give you some background on this and why Paul would have, have said this this way. The context was that Jewish Christians were still Jews. I don't know if you know that. People didn't get saved and walk away from Judaism. They got saved and stayed Jews, but they just recognized Jesus now as Messiah. And that's what set them apart. So they were still under Jewish law. They still observed Jewish law and Jewish culture. And Jewish law minimized women. In fact, there was a common prayer that the elders used to pray that, that part of the prayer was, God, thank you for not making me a woman. <laughs> that was actually part of the prayer. Isn't it sad? But Jewish law did minimize women, and we are not under that law. So you have to understand that this part, because of context, does not apply to the church of Jesus Christ in the 21st century. We fully recognize women, their gifts, their abilities, their teaching, their pastoring, their, all the things that women can do, uh, as well as men, we recognize and thank God for, right? So Jewish women, secondly, were not educated. And so it didn't make sense to have them trying to share around the word of God. They just had a lot of questions. They were trying to fill in the blanks, and they kept interrupting. And so Paul would say, you know, ask your husband when you get home. And thirdly, women in the church was a brand new thing. This had never happened before. So culturally, you got to understand, this was a big deal. This was a splash in their culture. Women were always put off to the side. Women were not allowed to be a part of the inner circle of men in the teaching. And so this was new, and Paul had to navigate this very carefully. Because he knew that he could cause a lot of disunity and disharmony if he didn't do this well. So he allowed the women in the church, but then he said, well, why don't you just kind of tone down the questions a little bit, you know, so that we can get something done here. Paul still had a Jewish mindset. You have to understand that. Paul was still a Jew, and he realized that they were free from the law, but he still had a Jewish mindset. And so you have to understand that, that um, women in the day were still minimized in the church, okay? So this is not our culture. This is not our context in the 21st century. We are not under Jewish tradition. We are not under Jewish law. And you've got to interpret these kind of passages through the ideas of context and culture. You have to be wise. You have to think it through, okay? So, but Paul was addressing this disorder in the church so that the church could stay unified in those early days. And that's why he had to address this. 
Now, chapter 14 has another thing that was disorderly that was going on that Paul addressed, and he addressed it in this chapter. And I don't know if you remember, if you were here last week, Steve preached a great message on chapter 13, and he talked about how even the gifts of the Spirit can become distracting noise if they are allowed to become the focus point of the church. Jesus is the focus point of the church. His gospel is the focus point of the church. The gifts are simply used to build up the church, but they can be distracting if they're not used in love, right? It can become like a, gang, a clashing symbol or a gong. Uh, that's what verse, uh, chapter 13 says. So Paul continues this thought now in chapter 14. And here's what he does. He takes two gifts of the Spirit and he compares them and talks about how, how they can become noisy and loud and distracting if you'll allow them to. And the two he talks about are the gift of tongues and the gift of prophecy. And he comes out of the love chapter, chapter 13, the, the last words he says in chapter 13, which, by the way, there's no break in the, you know, when the, the letter was written. Uh, there's no chapters and verses in the original letters. I don't know if you knew that. So he comes out of chapter 13. He says the greatest of these three, faith, hope, and love, is love. And then he continues that thought in chapter 14. And he says, let love be your highest goal. Let love be your highest goal. Not expression of the gifts. Not the use of the gifts. Although they can add to the love and add to the unity. But, but let love be your highest goal. And then he goes on and says, but you should also desire the special abilities the Spirit gives, especially the ability to prophesy. For you have the ability to speak in tongues. You will only be talking to God since people won't be able to understand you. You will be speaking by the power of the Spirit, but it will all be mysterious. But one who prophesies strengthens others, encourages them, and comforts them. Remember those three words when it comes to prophecy. Strengthens others encourages others and comforts others. That is the purpose for the gift of prophecy in the church. But let's come back to this. Let love be your highest goal. Whatever you do, whether you speak in tongues, whether you serve somebody, whether you bring a word of wisdom, a word of knowledge, whether you are able to do a miracle or, or help someone be healed, whatever you do, may it be done for the benefit of the other, not just to gratify yourself and your desire to use the gifts. Now, I, I do want to bring up our human condition, okay? Because as humans, we lean toward self-centeredness. We lean toward that gratifying our own self, our own need uh, for value. And so sometimes even the gifts of the Spirit can become about us and not about the other. And the gifts of the Spirit should always be about the other. Steve said that last week. And so the problem that we have is that sometimes we can have the gift and, and use the gift, but it might not even be the most loving thing in the moment or, or it may not be done out of love for the other. And so it, like it's, it's important to understand that, that everybody would like us to preach on the end times, but that's not what's important. What's important is love. Love is important. The end times are going to happen. Hello? Jesus is going, to, is going to come back. What's important is that we love while we're waiting. I guess I just want to say, isn't it sad that Paul had to include a chapter in the Bible in the first century already about misuse of the gifts, these beautiful gifts that God had given. And the gift of tongues is a beautiful gift. And God wants us to use it for communion with him. He wants us to use it for prayer with him, for, for praising him, for worshiping him. Uh, but even that beautiful gift can be taken and can be misused. And Paul's saying that's not loving. 
In fact, in, in verse 23 of this chapter, I'm not going to read it, but he says that if you do this, see, everybody was speaking in tongues. And so he said, if you do this, unbelievers are going to come in and they're going to say, you're crazy. What's going on here, right? Nobody's interpreting, nothing. And so Paul is saying, only use this gift in a way that is orderly and that brings about benefit for the body of Christ. Uh, you know, Paul goes on to say in verses 15 and 16 that he himself uses this gift all the time. So he's not berating the gift. He's just saying that we in our human condition, we tend to misuse the good things that God has given us. And Paul's saying, don't do that, okay? So that's what chapter 14 is about. It's about bringing order to disorderly worship, okay? Now I wanna spend the rest of our time together talking about the gift that Paul said he wants every one of us to use. Every one of us. If you're a follower of Christ, then Paul wants us, and I think God wants us, to use this gift of prophecy. And the reason for this is, is because this gift, more than any other gift, expresses the love in the heart of God to one another. We're able to actually pass along how God thinks about you and what God feels about you as we hear him share those thoughts with us or those, those words with us, and we pass them on to another brother or sister who needs them. And so really what I'm saying is that God wants every person in the church to speak life to one another, not death. He wants us to speak good things to one another, not evil things, not hurtful things. And my experience with people is that sometimes we lean toward the hurtful. You know what I mean? Gossip and maligning people and just saying things we shouldn't say about people. And God wants us to lean the other direction to where the things that come out of our mouth are beneficial, are uplifting, are good words for people to hear. And here's what it comes down to for all of us. We have the choice every day to delight people with our words. In other words, uh, bring them pleasure, bring them help by our words. Or we have the opportunity to destroy people with our words uh, and to bring them down with our words. And I, and I would suggest it's better to delight than to destroy, don't you think? Like, like, wouldn't you rather have a word that builds you up than tears you down? Wouldn't you rather? And so doesn't it make sense that then we should deliver words to others that bring them up and build them up instead of tear them down. So the point of it is this, words are power. Words are power. Words have power. And we have the power to call forth or to invite out of one another the best that we see in that other person or that God affirms in that other person. We have the power to do that with our words. I'm not saying we can create things with our words. That's a bad doctrine. But what I am saying is that with our words, we can call forth and draw forth the gifts and the abilities that God has already placed in the people that we love and bring them value and add value to their life and add good things to their life. So words are power and we have the power to call forth the best in people instead of the worst. And that brings me to number two. Why would we do that? Because of love. Because of love. Why would we say good things to one another, things from God? Because of love. You know, there was an old song back in the 60s, I think, Silence is Golden. Remember that? Was it the Four Seasons? I'm dating myself. Silence, silence is golden, golden. Remember? Ah, I got one right there. Yeah, that's a good song, huh? And, and the point is this. Silence is not golden. Silence is not good. God wants us to speak the things that we feel, the good things that we value about one another. God wants us to speak those, not to keep them inside our heart. If we keep them inside our heart, then our friend, our person, our loved one never benefits from hearing those words. And, and I know, as a hearer, I know how important and how life-giving those affirming words are. I love it when somebody says something good to me or nice to me or recognizes something in me. 
And I think we all need that. So we do this because of love. We love one another best by speaking God's heart to one another. And, and that, in its simplest form, that is what prophecy is. Prophecy is speaking the heart of God, what you know about him through his word, what you've learned about him through his word, what he might even just drop into your heart about a person that you know and love. Prophecy is simply passing along God's good thoughts, God's, God's good ideas, God's value of another person. Sometimes it'll just be him bringing a scripture to mind as you're talking to somebody and you'll share that scripture with them that validates their life or that adds value to their life. That's prophecy. And I want to normalize it for you this morning. It should be normal. You know, we're stuck in these old crazy paradigms of thus saith the Lord and, and then you say to spiel your thing, you know. No, what about just, you know, conversation around the water cooler. And you say, you know what, I think the Lord thinks this about you. I think the Lord would, would say this about you. I don't know for sure, but I think this might be what the Lord is saying. Don't say, thus says the Lord. You don't know for sure. <laughs> There's that 1% chance that it wasn't the Lord. So leave yourself an opening to be wrong. That's okay to be wrong. If you're saying things that are based in the word and things that are uh, positive from the Lord, I think it's hard to miss, Right? Even if it wasn't him, speak those things of value over one another. Everybody loves an uplifting word. Everybody needs a good word. You know, last month was just kind of a challenging month for me in terms of leadership. I'm okay. It was fine. It's not like I, you know, came through scarred or anything. But there were just some difficulties that came across my desk and my path that made it hard. You know how you kind of question yourself sometimes? And I had a friend that stopped in out of nowhere and we had a conversation. We were just talking about life. In the middle of that conversation, he looked at me and he said, Kurt, I just feel like I need to tell you that God sees you. God sees your leadership and he approves. And I see your leadership and I, and I approve. And I'm not telling you, you know, please understand me. It's not build up Kurt time. It's simply, I want to tell you how important the timing of that word was in my life that day. It was like God sent this guy, and I don't think this guy even knew that he was going to say that. But just in our conversation, that's what he heard, and so that's what he said. And I can tell you it was super powerful for me. It was important for me. So all the gifts are important. Each gift has its place, but prophecy has a special place that Paul talks about here because, because it's the gift we use to build one another up. It's the gift we use to to bring good identity to our lives. This is a gift we use to build up the church. And James, the brother of Christ, said in James chapter 3 that, that prophecy is actually like, or that the tongue is actually like a rudder on a ship. And you can turn a ship, a big ship, with just a tiny rudder. And so you got to think of those words that you say to somebody like a rudder. You can help guide and direct their life in good ways, to good places. Now you can also do the opposite. And you can destroy and tear down their life as well, right? Because words have power. Now, I want you to think about this. Words are the action of creation. If you think about the creation story back in Genesis chapter 1, you see that God spoke our worlds into existence. Everything that was created, God created through the spoken word. And again, I'm not suggesting we can create. That's bad doctrine with our word. But, um, but, but that God did. He spoke the world's into existence. He thought them and then he spoke them. And I think there's a principle here that we need to understand and need to, need to use in our life. And that is that we can speak good things 
uh, into existence, not create, but just help people process through their life and become the best version that they can be through the spoken word. So next time, you know, you feel like you should say something positive to somebody, say it. Why not? What do you got to lose, right? And again, you don't have to say, thus saith the Lord. To say, I have this word for you, or I, I have this thought I want to share with you, or, or here's just something I appreciate about you. Don't even spiritualize it. Just say, here's something I appreciate about you. Let me say it to you. And you never know what that can do in the life of somebody, what they need in that moment. Proverbs 25.11 says that a word fitly spoken or spoken at the right time is like an apple of gold in a setting of silver. It's beautiful, and it's just perfect for the moment. So when someone's struggling, a word of encouragement that strengthens them and, and helps them, especially when it's a word from the Lord, that you would just pass along what God thinks and feels about somebody. And do it in a way that can be received, right? Colossians 4, 6 says, Let your conversation be gracious and attractive so that you will have the right response for everyone. You know, we don't like criticism. People don't like it. Don't be critical. <laughs> don't let your words be critical. Now, sometimes you might have to speak the truth in love, right? But even so, let your speech be gracious. Uh, realize, even as you're saying it, that you've got your own problems. You've got the log in your eye, right? And so let your speech be gracious and attractive. Spouses, as you talk to your spouse, you know, let your speech be gracious and attractive. They're, they're much more open and receptive if, if you do. Talking with your teenagers, same thing. So in every conversation we have, there is a right response that can happen through our conversation. So the problem is, on the other hand, sometimes our words can be less than loving, and James talks about that too in verse 9. He says, sometimes our words praise our Lord and Father. Sometimes it curses those who've been made in the image of God. And Steve talked about this last week. We have no business cursing any other person that's been made in the image of God, and that's every person. And so we need to make sure that our, our words are consistent out of our mouth. So... I know in my life what causes me to lean toward criticism or lean toward harsh words, and that's simply stress. You know, when I'm stressed out, I'm much more likely to use the wrong words or the wrong tone. And so I have to really self-mediate that. I have to be careful of that and, and to know what's going on in my life because when stress comes up, the filter comes off. Anybody else? Yeah, and you say things that you wish you hadn't said and you can't put the toothpaste back in the tube, you know? And so you wish you hadn't say it, said it, and it's better not to. So it's not okay to be unkind. It's not okay to be mean. It's okay to be honest. It's okay to share the truth in love. And so thirdly, number three, we need to choose to speak good words from Jesus over those that you love. You have the choice to speak good words from Jesus over those that you love. Verse four says, a person who speaks in tongues is strengthened personally, that, that deepens you in your relationship with Christ. But one who speaks a word of prophecy to somebody else strengthens the entire church. And then Paul says, I want you all to speak in tongues, because it's a great gift, but even more to prophesy. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues, unless someone interprets so that the church may be built up. Again, the backdrop of this was that they were going crazy with the tongues. And Paul's saying, hey, I'd really rather you pull back on that and just take your time to speak good words of prophecy, words from God over one another. Why? Because we all need them desperately. Man, I need good words from Jesus. And if you're the one he picked to give me that word from Jesus, 
I'll take it from any one of you in the house. I'll take it, please. Give me the good word. I'd love to have the good word from Jesus. I'd love to be strengthened personally. You know, we need those good words, and that's what prophecy is. And again, I want to normalize this for you. I want to say to you, get rid of the paradigm that has the old church mentality of, of prophecy as just somebody standing up in the middle of a service. And it can be that. But I want to say that in context of how this was given, this was mobs of people getting together every day, eating together, uh, meeting in the temple, and they were just sharing the Holy Spirit between them. So it wasn't like this, right? So this was a way of doing life. And that's what we want to do. We want to do life with good words from Jesus, right? We want to listen to him, and we want to pass along to somebody who needs that good word. That is the gift of prophecy. And Paul says, everybody want, I want everybody to do it. You know, yesterday I had this little weird thing. Was it yesterday? Yeah, yesterday. I had this weird thing happen. Uh, Gwen and I rode our bikes out to Boundary Road, you know, out by the border. I love that ride. It's berry fields and bees and the whole thing, right? So we're riding on Boundary Road, and, and literally, if I were to jump off my bike, I'd be in Canada. So we're riding along Boundary Road, and this white van comes on the other side of the boundary, Canadian, so it comes toward me and starts to slow down, just hits the brakes, right? And we're going pretty good clip. He hits the brakes, and he hangs out his window while he's driving, keeps driving, hangs out his window, and yells, have a blessed day, eh? I'm like, did I just hear that? And here's this Canadian who I've never met. I'll never meet again, probably, maybe in heaven. And he's blessing my day. Now, he made the choice to do that, right? <laughs> he did, made the choice to do that. Some people would question the choice. And so I yelled back as he was going off into the, in the, into the sunset. I yelled back, you too, eh? Because I just wanted to make sure he knew I could understand the language and could, and could understand what he had to say. But... I knew he had to be a Christian because this word blessed, you don't hear that out in the world, do you? And so here's this crazy Canadian hanging out his window, just blessing my day. And I got to tell you, as weird as that was, as strange as that was, it made me feel good. I felt a little bit good in my heart because this stranger had blessed my day rather than give me the middle finger. You know what I mean? I'd much rather have a blessing. And it was a beautiful thing to receive that from him, probably never see him again. So prophecy can also be encouragement. Encouragement really means when you come alongside somebody. Um, the word encouragement comes from the Greek paraklesin. So think of, think of you know, paraeducators. Paraeducators come alongside students and teachers, right? So in the gift of encouragement, it means that you're coming alongside someone. Somebody that's probably struggling. Somebody that probably just needs to hear from the Lord. Somebody that maybe has been through a tough week or a tough year. It's just your choice to come alongside them, to encourage them, to give them courage. That's what it really means. Encouragement means to give courage. And so when you come alongside somebody that's struggling, you listen to the Lord and, and you say, God, what would you have me give them today? How do you see them? And Lord, how would you like me to communicate to them that you do see them, that you see them and that I see them? You know, one of the most important things you could do for somebody is just realize, help them realize that you see them and that God sees them. And I don't know why God planned it this way. I don't know why he chose us to express his heart and give people words of encouragement. I mean, it seems a little bit risky to me, right? We can get it wrong a lot, but God did choose. Do you know that, that if you have a word for somebody and, and you don't give it to them, they're not going to get that word unless God gets somebody else to do it, right? And so we 
we hold, we hold in our ability the opportunity to encourage people and build people up and comfort people by the Holy Spirit, which is awesome. So encouragement really means when you see somebody who's struggling and you decide to come alongside them and give them a word of validation or encouragement that they really, they really need to hear. And so next time you're given that opportunity or you think about somebody who's struggling or you know about somebody who's struggling, pick up the phone or, or text them or you know, message them or something and just let them know that God has something good for them. Now the last thing is comfort. So building up encouragement, comfort, um, simply noticing when somebody is experiencing loss or has gone through a time of loss. You know, I've noticed that when somebody loses a loved one, we move on pretty quickly, but they don't. And they're left in their grief for a very long time. And so what I want to say is that we have the opportunity to comfort somebody who's left behind in their grief. And they're struggling, and, and we're not. We've moved forward, but we can choose to go back and to sit with them and to help them and to make their day special and to walk with them through the firsts of every, you know, every new thing that comes up since they lost their loved one. Everything they experience is a first, right? A first birthday or a first anniversary or a first Christmas. And we get the opportunity to comfort them that way. And that's a gift from the Lord. I have some really good friends named Dean and Linda King. Do you guys know Dean and Linda? So they've been around forever. We've been in a small group with them for, I don't know, 10 or 12 years. And last week, uh, Linda lost her brother-in-law suddenly, heart attack, dropped dead, came as a huge surprise. And so uh, we were supposed to go to a small group dinner at their house on Thursday, and they decided they needed to, to go out of town and, and uh, go to the family, which was the right decision. And so I thought, what can I, what can I do for Dean and Linda? I mean, these are friends of mine. So I texted them, you know. Um, they are very mature believers. It's not like they need me to come and be with them. But I thought, you know, the only, the only thing I can give them is the gift of me. And so I knew they had family over. I knew little Dean and his wife and his family was there. But I thought, I'm just going to drop in for a minute or two, right? So I got off work. I drove out to their place, King Ranch. Drove in, went in the house, went in the door. I just said, hey, I know you're busy. I just wanted to tell you that we're sorry that you lost your brother. And I just want to let you know I'm here for you. And I know you're leaving town tomorrow. And I'm not going to stay. I know you're busy. But I just wanted to tell you that. And their eyes filled with tears. And they were happy that I'd shown up. And that I had expressed to them the sorrow of the Lord, I think. That God's sorry that they lost this loved one. God didn't ever want it to be this way. Uh, for us to experience this kind of grief. But, you know, Scripture says, Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. And there's a special comfort that comes when brothers and sisters gather around someone who's been through a time of loss, and they draw close, and they enter in, and they let them know that they are seen, and they say just a word, just, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Let me be here for you. I stayed five minutes. I was out the door, and I think that it was really, really meaningful for them. So those kinds of things is what it means to be a person that uses the gift of prophecy and just helps people when, when they need it, okay? When they need it. So I want to close our service in a special way today. It's a, there's a song I love. And in fact, this morning I was out for a run 
uh, at 5 o'clock. I, I ran early today because I, you were on my heart, and I wanted to pray for you and wanted to you know, just be ready this morning. And the first song that came up on my playlist was this song. And I think it really speaks to what I've shared with you today. And, and I think I want, I want you to sing this song as a prayer today. That if you want, that you would be a person that speaks Jesus into the lives of your family, your friends, people that you love. That you would be a person of courage, speaking courage and speaking comfort. And, and building up those people that you love rather than tearing them down. And, and I have to grow in that. I'm not perfect at that. I have my days, let me tell you. Even my staff will tell you. He has his days. And so we need to be so intentional about this. And one of the ways we can do that is just open our hearts and ask God to, to increase our ability to speak words of life into one another. Amen? That's a good thing. And this is a beautiful gift that God gave us and he wants all of us to use this. Let's stand. Let's close our service this way today. Let's just sing this song as a prayer to Jesus today.